Hello and welcome to the Highland Bridge Builders podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Fagala, and today we are very fortunate because we have a, and I say this every time, a professional speaker teaching class. So this is Eric Gentry. He is one of the preaching ministers here at Highland Church of Christ, and Eric does a fabulous job every time he teaches class. Um, I think it's one of his, his gifts for sure is teaching a small group or a class. So Eric is going to teach on part four of our Attributes of God series, and so if you've been following along, we do two attributes a week. And so this week, Eric is going to be looking at God's omnipresence and God's eminence. So if you're not 100% sure what those words mean, well, this should be a good class for you, and myself included. So let's hand it over to Eric Gentry. All right, there we go. Okay, uh, I'm going to start with a parental advisory on this podcast. For if, you, if you're listening with small children, you may turn it off, not because the language is going to get offensive, but because we're going to talk about S-A-N-T-A for just a second. My child's in here, so I've got S-A-N-T-A. Do, do you need me to repeat that? We're, my own child's in here. Let's see. I'm going to pass those down. Okay, I might have given you one short. Rebecca there you go all right it's just a little cheat sheet we're covering uh, a little bit of territory today so you want to pass take one of those pass them down and uh, this will just help us a little bit hey Steven one of these anybody not get one of those So, um, ah, here you go. Let it be noted on the podcast, the Dashers just walked in, and I'm getting them a <laughs> special handout. Here you go. Uh, hey, y'all. Front row. Front row, yeah. Um, okay, so I, I, you know, I've, I've talked several times in several settings about this Bible study in the prison, and um, I do. Well, anyways, we're talking about, we go, we go through the Sermon on the Mount. This is the Hope Works class, and we go through the Sermon on the Mount with the guys idea being that um like let's pay attention to what jesus says about what a good life looks like and so we talk about those things with guys in prison stephanie does that with the women in prison too so we were talking about what jesus has to say about oaths not not taking oaths simply letting your yes be yes and your no be no actually we we talked about honesty you know like being a person that's honest where where what you say is what you mean and there's no kind of duplicity about it and one of the guys said but what about s-a-n-t-a and your kids um isn't that is my kid still in here yeah i don't think he's gonna get it but uh anyways so okay what about santa he, he says he says you know what about what about him what about what you tell your kids like should we not be doing that would jesus be disappointed with us about that and you know i didn't have a really good answer for him i was like well jesus applies to everything but that you know, right? Like, that's not, that's not the right answer. So, you know, anytime you start thinking, well, maybe that's not the right answer. But I do think it's a, um, like, we're doing the, the elf on the shelf thing, and uh, or the elf on the shelf is visiting our house right now. And, like, part of me is just like, this is just one more thing that's going to make it harder to preserve the magic of this, right? Because it's, it's not going to be too long before he's like, I don't know that that elf is real, you know? And, uh, and what's that going to lead to questions about? And so it, you know, the whole 
Christmas season, I think it's fun. We're going to continue doing Santa for sure. And maybe we're terrible parents because of that. We're going to continue doing it. But it makes me think about what we tell our kids. And because I think when it comes to Santa, we're, we're always worried that what we say is not going to get confirmed somewhere else or that they're going to learn something like their, their kid in second grade class is going to be like, my bike was made in China, not at the North Pole. And so, and like everything we've said up until that point is kind of like blown up. And, and so we're, we're worried about what we say being confirmed in other places. And sometimes, uh, recently, Noble's been asking me the question, where is God? Have your kids asked you all that? Where, so where is God? Because we, we pray to God every night and we talk about Jesus. He's like, where is God? And what planet is God on? He'll ask me. He's really into the planets right now. So uh, what do you, I'm, I'm just curious, like I could use some parenting advice. What, what have you all said to your kids who've asked that question? Where is God? Huh? Mars. Mars. Far, far away, the red planet. Um, I just refer them to Tozer's <laughs> God's omnipresence. <laughs> That's a good tactic. That's a good tactic. Uh, you know, what about the rest of you? Or maybe if you, you know, were a child at one time and you remember what your parents said, what did they say to you about where God is? Cindy. I'm so tired that God lives in your heart. God lives in your heart. Yep. I like that. Who else? What have you, what have you said? I think we often, especially with fear, um, like middle of the night, you know, bad dreams or whatever, we just always uh, refer to, do not be afraid for I'm with you. So we just always say, like, same thing, he's just with us. He's with us, yep. I like that. That's good. Anybody else? This uh, morning, literally, when he asked me that question, huh. she said, is God even real because I can't see him? Mm. <laughs> and so, um, so I, it is a hard question to answer, and I don't necessarily, I feel like, I'm like, oh, this is such a good opportunity, and what am I supposed to say? Um, but this morning I just told her, I was like, well, just because you can't see him doesn't mean he's not there and he's everywhere and he's with you whenever you need it. Like you say all those things, I still feel like I leave her with a little bit of like a, okay, whatever, mom. You know, like, like I still can't see him. Yeah. Yeah. So. Hmm. My, my, um, I don't have any kids, but I have nieces and nephews. One of my niece, when they were down for Thanksgiving, uh, my niece, okay, she's five, and she she said she said, um, I forget how the she said. Can I ask you a question? I said sure, and she said, Did God ever say shut up? Hmm. And I just looked at. I was like, What? Hmm. And and she's hmm. like, Yeah, I don't. Like, I heard, I don't know how she said it, but she's like, I thought I heard him say it when he created me. Hmm. 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 I was like, yeah, and so I guess she was being like, be still, like, how God told us to just be still, yeah. now I am. And yeah. Now, I think that's how, I, I mean, I know she wouldn't understand what that meant, but that's what my thinking was. Sure, yeah, that's helpful. The, the Lord is in his, in his holy temple that all the earth keeps silent. So yes. Maybe that's like, shut up. Okay, so um, what we're talking about today is uh, God's omnipresence. So I'll just write it out. Omnipresence and imminence. 
So this is from, we're doing this ongoing series out of A.W. Tozer's The Attributes of God. And I think, uh, so the attributes of God, what we're, what we're describing is the character, the qualities of God. And I think a worthwhile question is, what, what do the qualities of God have to do with me? Like they're about, they're about God. So what do they have to do with my life or the life of discipleship? So in this case, the omnipresence, which means what? Yeah, God is everywhere. All right, yeah. In imminence, God is in everything, basically, or one. That's what that means. And I'm going to kind of combine the chapters into two. I think they go together, obviously, well. So God is omnipresence. God is all-present. God is close to or near to everywhere, everything. That's what the word literally means, close to or near to. Imminence means God penetrates everything. He's within everything. So what is, it? My, I guess another dis- discussion question here is, why does this matter for me? Or why does this matter for you? What's that? Okay, yeah, we were made in God's image. I like that. I think it's easy to, uh, when things are hard, to feel like God is, is uh, distant. He's not. Not only is he not in you, but he's not even, he's not near, maybe he's not mm. listening, or it just mm. things get hard, and so you ask that question, you know, where, where is he? Mm. Mm. I like that. I mean, it's a pertinent question for Libby, obviously, who can't see God, so she's wondering where he's at, where God is at. Anybody else? Why does it matter? Think about God's location or locatedness. Why does it matter for us? I don't, they're not like a right answer. I'm just curious what you might think. I think it's almost like kind of this, uh, it gives, <clears throat> when you think about God and you're trying to con- make an argument for God's existence or, or, or firm that up in your own mind, even, the idea that you can locate that somehow specifically makes it more real. Hmm. As opposed to, you know, God's out there, God's in heaven, God's in our hearts, God's here or there. But to have some idea of a finite location, which hmm. doesn't make sense anyway, but it seems more real. Sure. Absolutely, it does. All right, so uh, let's look at um, Jared. So uh, what I did is just give you a cheat sheet with verses on it. Did it so, did, who just walked in? Somebody just walked in. I don't know if, did y'all get one back here? Y'all have some? You got enough? All right, you're good. Okay. Anybody else need one of these? <clears throat> okay, so we're just, I'll just call out a couple verses. They're not in order exactly, but somebody read that Jeremiah passage 23, the second one down. Somebody read that. Am I only a God nearby, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Who can hide in secret places so that I cannot see them, declares the Lord? Do not I feel heaven and earth, declares the Lord? Yeah, do not I fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. Somebody read that Second uh, Chronicles passage. Where's that one at? Down towards the bottom. But who is able to build a temple for him? Since the heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain him. Okay, and then somebody read that Acts 17 passage. God did this so they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. 
For in him we live and move and have our being. Yeah, he's not far from any of us. Y'all got, I got a couple extras here too. Another one. All right, so there's a couple of passages about where God's at. This is what Tozer, he uses this metaphor to help us think about where God's at. <clears throat> he says if, um, you know, if you look at verse uh, in Jeremiah there, do I, do I not fill heaven and earth? He says one of the ways we, we might think about that is like a, like a bucket. And um, that, God, that God like fills it up to the brim. So this is all God in here. But the problem with that is that there are limits to God. You see that? That like um, God is confined to a certain territory, basically. He's confined by the parameters of the bucket, by the walls of the bucket. And he says that that's not what God's presence is like. He says that God's presence is like the ocean. Uh-oh. <clears throat> it's getting wild up here. God's presence is like the ocean. And, and the cosmos or the universe, including us, is like a bucket on a string that's submerged down into the ocean. And so that, you know, creation is within God and at the same time God is filling that bucket, right? This is like if you were to submerge that bucket down, water's gonna pour into it and totally fill it up. I think I like that metaphor, right? And I think that if you look at Second Chronicles and Jeremiah and Acts 17 and read them all in, in um, conversation with each other, that's kind of what's being said there. So the, the takeaway is that God swallows up space. He fills heaven and earth like ocean fills this bucket, which means that we are all always in God. We are in God. It's not far. So if that's the case, we'll come back to what Grant said a second ago. If that's the case, why do we pray without a sense of the nearness of God? Or why does God feel far away somewhere else? Why does God feel that way? So what Libby's getting at there, why does God feel far away when we pray? You know, so like we're saying, okay, I can kind of wrap my mind around this being reality, but it doesn't feel that way when I'm praying. I don't feel like I'm this bucket that's submerged in God, filled with God. I don't feel that way. Why not? Because our faith is weak. Because our faith is weak? Yeah, so it has something to do with our frequency of pursuing God or our consistency, maybe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like that. What else? What do you think? Kathy says, we distance ourselves. I like that. I want to come back to that. Okay. So what Tozer says, and again, we're going through this, this book by A.W. Tozer. He says that the reason, the reason God feels far away, even though this be the reality, even though that's the case, the reason that God feels far away is that in spiritual things, he says, closeness and likeness are the same thing. And what he means by that is that remoteness... Remoteness equals dissimilarity. 
Remoteness equals dissimilarity. Okay, what he, what he means by that is that we are shut off from God because he is not spatially far away. He's, he's close to us spatially, but because God is dissimilar from us in nature. Well, I'm going to say a couple more sentences, then I'm going to give some examples of that. That is, God made humans in his image, as Trisha said back there, but we sinned. So we became unlike God in his holiness. That is, our nature became different from God's. Are you following? And we're just walking through this kind of, kind of simply. So God is not far away, but God seems far away because his character is so distant from ours or different from ours, dissimilar. So alienation is the biblical word for that. And you can see that in these passages in Ephesians here. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin in which you used to live. When you follow the ways of this world, the rulers of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work, and those who are disobedient. All of us who lived among them at one time were gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Uh, you can go over to the back. He says, I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. That you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding, separated from the life of God because of what? Their ignorance that's in them due to the hardening of their hearts. So that a nature is a change of nature is taking place inside them. Having lost all sensitivity, sensitivity would be how you would perceive the closeness of God. They have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they're full of greed, he says. <clears throat> okay, so God, so the distance isn't one of space between us and God, the distance we feel in prayer, the distance is one of character okay, or nature. So I was trying to, he gives a couple examples of this. He says, uh, you've got two men that are traveling along on, uh, in a bus together on a trip, and they speak different languages. Okay, so even though they can be right beside each other, they're not going to have, like, fellowship, right, because they're speaking different languages. Uh, or he gives this example. He could have two, two fellows are traveling alongside each other in this bus, and one is a, a holy, pious man, and the other is, a, he says, a licentious sinner. Right, he's, a, he's, a, he's a bad dude, as we all are. But, but he says, you know, like, they're going to be able to talk about, because they speak the same language, about, like, the trees, how pretty the landscape is, the great weather they're having. But true fellowship is going to elude them. So even though they're sitting by each other on this bus, their true fellowship is going to elude them. Uh, you can pet a dog, but you can't have communion with a dog. Some of you may disagree with this. Uh, <laughs> we, our dog, this is the first year he didn't make the Christmas cards, pictures. Cut them out. Can't, can't deal with that anymore. So uh, <laughs> he used to be our baby, right? So we cut him out. Um, I know the Shafleys, their dog used to be in the um, directory at church. I didn't see him this year in the most recent picture. Um, <laughs> right? So you can pet a dog, but you can't have communion with a dog like you can a person. So you can be spatially close to them. There's a difference in character or in nature. I was trying to think of another example of this, like in, and maybe you can help me in contemporary events. You know, the Pope uh, visited Myanmar, right, recently. Did y'all follow this? And, and I, you know, I, I have a deep respect for a lot that the Pope has done. And basically, he, he went there to try to promote peace between a Buddhist majority and this Muslim minority, the Rohingya. And, um, but one of the really interesting things about his trip is that, and if you followed the news, he was advised not to say the word Rohingya. Um, just saying the word would be really inflammatory. It would potentially cause Christians in Myanmar to become persecuted. And, it, and so, you know, I'm not a part of all those conversations. I don't know everything that went into that decision. But if I was just thinking about it, if I were a Rohingya, right, 
And this, this holy man came to visit to advocate on my behalf. He like came to visit, so he's, he's there, he's close by, but fails to even utter our name, right? That, that distance would seem so far. Right? Like you're so close, but you know, we're ultimately not even in the same ballpark because you won't say our name. You might think of other examples of that. And then, I, uh, you know, so Kathy brought up that we distance ourselves. So what's the classic story of trying to distance ourselves from the presence of God? Probably there's two. There's probably a lot, but biblical story. Yeah, we got, oh yeah, we got several here. So at, we'll, we'll come back to prodigal son. We're going to come there. Old Testament, we got Jonah and Adam and Eve. Tozer tells this story of a, a rabbi who's talking about the Adam and Eve story and, um, the rabbi re- retells the story. He said, God asked Adam, where are you? And did God, did God not know where Adam was? Because isn't God everywhere? Doesn't, isn't God like filling up Adam and even, even in that moment? Surely God knows where he was. And the rabbi said, God said, Adam, where art thou? Not because he didn't know where Adam was, but because Adam didn't know where he was. The question was asked of Adam. Adam was lost, not God. Yeah, Adam was lost. I thought that was, that was good. A good takeaway that he's trying to distance himself from the presence of God and doesn't even realize what he's doing. Jonah attempts to flee God's presence and finds out that even in the belly of a fish, he can't do that because I mean, now we're really talking about ocean, right? That this is now a fish here, right? And even in the belly of the fish, God's filling that. That's a whale, a fish. <laughs> what is, I'm not sure what that is. Um, <laughs> And then look at Luke. Did I put this one on there? No, I, I didn't put this on there. But Luke, Luke says to Jesus in Luke chapter 5, verse 8, he says, Get away from me, Lord. Why? You may remember, because I'm a sinful man. Get away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. So what, what he's realizing is that his dissimilarity to Jesus, he, he desires that that create remoteness, like, because it's so uncomfortable. He is so dissimilar to Jesus that being in the presence of Jesus is unbearable. Unbearable. Um, we're going to come back to that. So what Tozer says, this is an interesting point. I thought we'd discuss it for two minutes. He says the presence of God is bliss to moral creatures, okay, those who are similar to God, and its absence is torment. So you might think about heaven and hell there. We're going to come back to that. Uh, but he says, inter- and he just goes on this aside and says the entertainment then was invented because people cannot endure their alienation from God. Entertainment is the, is the result of or is created because humanity cannot endure the feeling of being alienated from God. What do you think about that? You know, it's a distraction from our alienation, basically. He says the presence of God is like sunlight. People deny the sun but still want a bright day, so they invent every kind of light imaginable and they spin candles over their heads, and we call that entertainment. It helps people to forget they're without God. Yeah, we won't discuss that more because of time. So he, this is how, so he helps us to think about heaven and hell in, a, in, a, in a, what I think is a helpful way. He said hell would be hell then if the, if the presence of God is bliss. He said hell would be hell without the torment, so the burning lakes of fire and sulfur and all that, simply because we are cut off from God's presence. That, that's the hell. And he says, heaven would be heaven without the streets of gold and the mansions, robes, and crowns, because we all see his face face to face, and his name shall be emblazoned on our forehead. 
within the presence of God. It's the presence of God that makes heaven heaven. And so this is what I want to think about. We distance ourselves. So what we tend to think about is that we're distancing ourselves only in this life, but C.S. Lewis said that hell is the choice to distance ourselves eternally. Um, hell as the self-exile of the soul from God, he says. So he, this is C.S. Lewis. He says, I willingly believe that the damned are, in one sense, successful rebels to the end, that the doors of hell are locked on the inside. The doors of hell are locked on the inside. I do not mean that ghosts may not wish to come out of hell in the vague fashion wherein an envious man wishes to be happy, but they certainly do not will even the first preliminary stages of the self-abandonment through which alone the soul can reach any good. They enjoy forever, for, they enjoy forever the horrible freedom they have demanded and are therefore self-enslaved just as the blessed forever submitting to obedience become through all eternity more and more free. Um, a good way of, of, of making sense of this is hell is the love or the presence of God refused. So think about it like this. Let's say you had an enemy. Um, in college, uh, Lindsay came to college and she was dating this guy who was older, he was a junior, and I was dating somebody else separate and apart we both broke up and eventually we started dating but that guy just never really could handle that he wasn't dating Lindsay anymore and so he would do things like let the air out of my tires and really awesome stuff like that and uh, so he was a real quality guy um Lindsay's so lucky to have me and uh anyways so I had this enemy right okay and so imagine you've probably had enemies in your time people you didn't get along with well and um so imagine that you're, you became really desperate and in need. So let's say you were homeless. Things, things went really bad for you. You were in trouble. You became homeless. And that enemy, so you, that person you have in your mind, took you into their house, you know, began to feed you, offered you a place to stay, take care of you. Right. Uh, Brian's on. He's got this book called Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God. He gives this example. And he says, so imagine that, that, that your enemy takes you in and begins to feed you. He says, if you were resolved to continue hating your enemy, the kind things your enemy would be doing towards you would heap burning coals on your head. Right? It would be unbearable if you, if you were resigned to continue hating that person. So the, the love they're showing you would be hellish to you because you're, you're so committed to your hate to them to the resistance of them. But, you know, if you were to say, well, this, this guy's not so bad at all. I mean, this guy actually was that bad. But if you were to say, like, this guy's not that bad at all, this is actually great, then suddenly the same act of love they're showing you that was hellish to you, that was heaping burning coals on your head, as Jesus says, right, heaping burning coals on your head, suddenly becomes like a meal of fellowship and, and, and most joyous possible thing. And, and so I think that's, that's what Tozer is getting at here with hell. I think that's what C.S. Lewis is getting at here, what Brian Zahn is getting at, is that hell is this decision to distance ourselves from the love of God. You know, what makes hell hellish is God's attempt to extend love to these people who are resisting it to the end. They are successful rebels to the end, C.S. Lewis says. And that, that resistance of love or the presence of God is what's so hellish. Okay, we got a lot of ground to cover. We're not going to cover it all. So, um, so what needs to happen okay, between, two, between us who have a different nature than God's nature is reconciliation needs to happen. And so how, how are we reconciled? Well, Tozer says that um, 
you think about reconciliation, one way you think about reconciliation is compromise. So, you know, Lindsay and I compromise, you compromise with people all the time. And, and he says, ultimately, like, we don't want a God who compromises on sin. I, he says, I'd rather, go to a he- I'd rather go to hell than go to a heaven presided over by a God who would compromise with sin. He said, we don't want God to compromise. We don't want God to wink at our iniquity, wink at it. We want God to do something about it. We want God to change our nature. We don't, we don't want the same sinful nature that's keeping us separated from God to just be winked at. We want God to do something about it. And he tells the story of the prodigal son, which is another story of somebody who's distancing themselves from the love of God. And he makes the point that God, the father stays put, right? That the son goes wandering all over the place, but the God, father stays where he's supposed to be, and the son returns to, God, to the father. Right? The father doesn't go looking for him out in the countryside, that the son returns, that God doesn't compromise on sin. So look at Second Peter here. We're going we're gonna to have to skip a ton of stuff, but look at Second Peter. This is on the back, 1, 4. Somebody read that real loud. Through these he has given us his great and precious promises, so that through them we may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Right. So, uh, trying to condense a lot here. All right. So, what he's saying is um, that Jesus comes because of the result of our dissimilar natures to God. Okay. That the reason Jesus comes is because even though we are filled as the bucket is, we can't experience that that fullness. So what Jesus comes and does, of course, is to live and die and be raised again. And, that, and we've talked about this many times, that when that happens, we are atoned. So atonement happens. That's happening separate and apart from us. It's happening because Jesus dies and is resurrected on our behalf. It's happening separate from us. We're not doing anything to earn our atonement. Okay, We're justified, but that also happens separate and apart from us. You know, justification, if you think about it's legal language. So you might be declared justified, but someone's making that decision. So a judge is making that decision, or a court, or a jury is making that decision. So he, he says, like, this is done in the heavenly courts. You are justified in the heavenly courts. What happens internally is what he calls regeneration or reconciliation, the changing of the nature. And so look at um, Colossians, that last verse, Colossians 3, 9 to 10. Somebody read that, sorry. Somebody read it. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of its creator. So um, basically, justification and regeneration happen at the same time. Justification is happening in the heavens, in the heavenly courts. Regeneration is happening internally, or internally inside of you. That is, your old self is being taken off, and a new self, the self of God, God's nature, as we see in Peter, you're, you get to participate in the divine na- nature, is being planted into you. So what happens at your baptism, essentially, is that a piece of the nature of God gets planted inside of you. You following? That makes sense? It's, it's put there like a seed that can grow inside of you. So that, he uses this metaphor, um, God comes into the, the newborn ward of the hospital, <clears throat> and there's all these you know babies, and some of them are ugly, some are cute, right? But he's looking at all these babies, 
and God's standing there in the window in the newborn hospital, and he sees, like I, I could with my son, that calic that my son had. It's like the same calic I had. And so, you know, Noble or Foster, neither of them, like it's not like you would look at them and be like, oh, he's a twin of Eric, especially right when he came out. But the, there was just enough of them that I could tell, like, oh, yeah, that's my kid. Right? That's mine. There's just enough. And I think it's similar here that what happens at the moment you're justified or regenerated inside when you, when you get that new self is that God's able to look at you and say, okay, you're enough like me now. Okay, then I'm going to draw you close and you'll be able to feel it in ways you wouldn't have been able to feel it before. You have a question about that? <clears throat> okay, so the natural question then is why do we continue to feel God's lingering distance even as we've been kind of picked up in the newborn ward and brought close to the chest of God, why do we continue to feel it? And he says we feel that lingering distance because of our lingering dissimilarity. And so what, what happens after regeneration? We've talked about this many times, is sanctification, which means you're being made holy. You're being made more and more like God. You're being brought more and more into the nature image of God. And so at this, you know, as all of us are some, somewhere between these two things, you know, we're, we all kind of find ourselves in here, um, that, you know, when we're regenerated, when we're picked up in that newborn ward, it's like God, the artist, like, draws an outline of us, of his nature inside of us, that over time he's kind of filling it out, you know, that it's, you know, we're becoming more and more like him, that we get hair and stuff, and eyes and like we're, we're being filled out like the artist it's just kind of the first sketches that happen in the moment of baptism but as we're being filled out we'll be drawn closer and closer and closer to God that is in character you know, he's already spatially close to us but we'll be able to sense it because our natures are not dissimilar okay what questions do you have I guess why do you think it is that way that it starts in part and ends in whole the idea that God only sort of emanates us, is that the right way to say that? Like initially, like in part, or? Yeah, I think, um, so next next week I'm preaching on Psalm 85, be a good week to skip. And um, the, what, what we read about in Psalm 85, we're gonna talk about this next week, is salvation, as the way of God. You spent some time in Psalm 85 this week, you'll kind of pick up on that. That salvation is a, is a way God is traveling in the world. You know, it's, it's happening here on earth, it's not in some distant heavens. So there are some signposts that indicate that way that God's going, we'll talk about that next week. But what's really fascinating is that in the New Testament, how are Christians described? The way. Right, um, that you know, Jesus says, "I am the way and the truth and the life." Uh, when Paul goes looking for what we would call Christians to kill, he's actually not looking for Christians. He's looking for what those on the way. Remember that, right? Um, and I think so. What I would say there is that. Um, and I'll, I'll talk some about this next week, that we tend to kind of ask that, that question, can I lose my salvation? If I have it, can it, can, it, can it be taken from me? Can it disappear? 
And ultimately, that's not really a question the Bible is trying to answer so much because the, the Bible really thinks about salvation or this journey as a process, as, a, as, as something that you're traveling along. It's a way that's marked with certain signposts. And because of that, it's a way that you're constantly choosing. You're not just choosing Jesus once, you're choosing daily to stay on the way, to stay on the way. And so I, I think that's why this is the way it is, you know, that we are, we are uh, you know, take on a piece of the nature of God, but we're invited to travel along until we, we take it on more and more fully and we realize how deeply we are submerged into the presence of God. I think the way you realize this is prayer. I think that's the way you are within God. God is within you. Um, but I, I think that's why. I mean, I, I wasn't there when God kind of designed the blueprint of the, of the cosmos, but I just see that making sense with the way that salvation is described in the New Testament. And salvation is also described as something that happens in a moment, for sure, the forgiveness of sins, the justification. But there's these other pieces to it that are much more of a process. I think, um, obviously, we know, like, we all agree that we're saved by faith. And I think of sanctification as, like, directly proportional to the amount of faith that I have. Hmm. So, like, if I trust God completely then he is able to work on my heart, work on my actions, he changes yep. me. If I don't trust him, I don't have faith, I, it's hard for me to be sanctified. Yeah. And so I, to me, that's what is happening the longer I'm a Christian. It's like I'm learning to trust God more. I think about, um, we dog sat for, for Kathy, my mother-in-law this, this past week, and, and we go into the home, to her, to her house, to pick the dog up, and like, this dog is vicious. Like, he's awful. He's the worst. He needs to put, be put down, probably. Um, <laughs> I thought he was going to attack me. I thought he was going to bite my hand off. But, like, the longer we were with him, the more he trusted us. You know, at first I would give him a little treat here and there, and he would eat out of my hand. And then by the end, it, he, he, was, he was okay. Yeah. He was fine. He's, yeah. he's going to make it. Um, but, like, I think he was learning to trust us. And then, like, there were things that I would do to try and curb his behavior, mostly with a shot collar. But... Um, but, but like he was learning to trust us, you know, and I think that, that with God, I think that's the way it is. Like you, you trust him and the more you trust him, the more he changes you. Um, I love this verse from Colossians one that I think ties in perfectly with this. It says, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, I love that. Like, like we were alienated and in our own minds, we're like, we're hostile to God. Doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death mm. in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before him if indeed you continue in the mm. faith. Yeah. Like, that's like, just keep having faith and this process will continue until the day you die when your faith is complete. Yep. Seeing face to face. Seeing face to face. That's a pretty cool process. Absolutely. Yeah, so uh, I'll leave you with that. I think that's a great, great verse to end on. It's, it's important, I think, to think about where God is, okay? Uh, not, not so that you can locate God on a map, right? But so that you, that you understand that, that you want to experience the God who's everywhere, right? Like, that's why it's worth thinking about where he is, not, not so that you can locate him, but so that you can experience him. What Tozer's saying is that the way to experience him is to open yourself to the love of God, all right, to, to take on the nature of God and be increasingly drawn towards him. So I want to thank Eric for an excellent job. I'm trying to think of a better adjective than excellent. Uh, 
tremendous. I don't know. It was fabulous. It was great. A um, lot to, ch to, to chew on and think on there. Um, I've noticed with Eric that he always has more than he's able to cover, but what he covers is always plenty. Um, and so uh, just, just great stuff to think about. I, I said this after class. I'd love to have another hour or two to kind of talk through some of these questions and, and chew on some of these ideas more. This is really deep theology and, and the sort of thing that uh, I really enjoy listening to and thinking on. And so I'm thankful to Eric for that. We'll be back next week. Uh, actually, we won't be. We're going to have Christmas in the Commons. And so if, if you've been listening to this and you're wanting to come, next week would actually be a really good time to come because we'll have lots of snacks and you can walk around and meet some people and, and eat food. Um, the week after that, it's going to be, let's say that's December the 18th, I think, 17th. Um, we're going to have, uh, I'm going to be teaching. So we're going to be teaching on the last uh, two attributes of God. And that should be excellent. And then we'll be back uh, in January starting a new series that we'll jump into. So I hope you had an awesome week. This is my favorite time of the year, Christmas season. I hope you enjoy that as well. Great time to spend uh, with your family. And also to remember, as I kind of say, you know, the reason for the season, um, just to remember that Jesus did draw to us. He came to us um, so that one day we could return to him or to come to him again. And so that's the season of Advent. A lot of great thoughts there. So have a wonderful week. We will see you next time.